Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. Hey everyone, so glad that you could be here today at River's Edge. As you notice, I'm not. I'm here on the screen, but not here in person. I had to record this earlier in the week, and the reason I did that is because I am actually at the Grey Cup. 13 years of rejection, season after season, we are finally in the Grey Cup uh, final, and uh, the game is taking place in Hamilton. So later today, you'll know if we are Grey Cup champions or not. But either way, today we are going to be continuing with our series, Rejected. And today we're going to be talking about a very poignant subject, and that's that of betrayal. I think at some point we've all experienced betrayal or have been a betrayer. And this topic is very emotional for most of us and very meaningful because of the impact that it's obviously had not just on ourselves but on others around us. We may be still living the effects of that betrayal and when we do, we experience it long term. This is not something that we can just overcome. It has a tendency to follow us just like it follows the life of these two disciples who rejected through betrayal Jesus. Now Jesus chose 12 and out of the 12 at some point they all rejected him. The two that we are most familiar with in terms of rejection are Judas of course. Everyone's familiar with Judas. We even have a saying don't be a Judas, don't be like Judas and that kind of thing. But when we talk about betrayal we often have to also talk about Peter. Very different stories, but both of them happened at the time in Jesus' life where he needed the faithfulness of his 12, but we experience the story through the lens of their betrayal instead. So we're going to dive right into that, and then we're going to talk about this topic in a very transparent way so that we can also get to the bottom of maybe some of the things that have been holding us back when it comes to rejection and being rejected and betrayal and the pain of all that. So we see that in the beginning, Jesus is choosing his disciples. And when he does, he obviously is aware of the prophecies regarding his choosing. And when he chooses someone like Peter and chooses someone like Judas, he is aware that at some point they are going to betray him. In fact, he's very clear on when those moments are going to be. We see that in the case of Peter, he tells him before it even happens that a rooster is going to crow three times and that Peter is going to deny Jesus. In the case of Judas, he also says on a few occasions that one of them is going to betray him and that betrayal is going to lead not only to his arrest but also to his crucifixion. 
And so Jesus has knowledge of this before it occurs. I don't know about you, but I don't have that kind of knowledge of my own betrayals. I, I don't know if I'm going to be a betrayer or not, but there are certain things that I can look to just like I can in the life of Peter to better understand if I am on the pathway of betrayal. There's certain things that Peter does that just don't sit right with him. And the first thing is that he is not happy with Jesus and the trajectory of his life. And he doesn't just want to interfere, interfere in Jesus's life. He, he doesn't like how things are working out for his own. And so one of the things that we notice right away from Peter is that when Jesus starts talking about his death, what Peter doesn't want that to obviously happen. It's not the future or the outcome that he envisioned for himself. And so as a result, he really is against this. And when we get to the story of Peter, we see that it's something that he still doesn't want to happen. That's why he brings a sword to the arrest of Jesus, takes off the ear of the high priest's servant. The servant gets in the way, protecting most likely the high priest. He loses his ear. And then we see that Jesus takes it off the ground, puts it back on the servant's head and heals him and removes any of the consequences that would have pursued and followed Peter, possibly even leading not only to his owner's arrest, but his own death prematurely. And so Jesus comes intervenes and restores the situation as if none of it happened. And yet Peter still, through all of this, has been warned about his denial, but we haven't seen it yet. What we're seeing is a very courageous Peter. We're not seeing a Peter who's fearful. And so when we get to the scriptures, we're going to see that there's a moment in which Peter transitions from being ready to fight to someone who is taking flight. Someone who is not standing his ground like he did in the Garden of Gethsemane, but someone who's kind of like hanging back, observing from afar, and not really following Jesus as closely as he promised that he would. And so what we notice in this story is that there is, in Peter's life, something that isn't right, something that isn't going right, and as a result, something that doesn't go right. And so in Luke 22, and in verse 54 to 62, this is what we read. So they arrested him, and they led him to the high priest's home, and then Peter followed at a distance. Then in verse 55, the guards, they lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and they sat around it. And then strangely enough, Peter joins them there. He sits with them. These are the people who just arrested Jesus or taking charge over him and the outcome of what is to happen. And he's hanging out with them. And then the third thing we notice is that there's a, a servant girl notices him in the firelight and began staring at him. And then finally she said, this man was one of Jesus's followers. And so here comes the first denial. The first time that Peter betrays Jesus, Peter denies it. And he says, woman, 
I don't even know him. Now, why would he do that? Why would he say that he doesn't know Jesus if not out of self-protection? And so here's a second betrayal. It's happening around the same time and probably around that same fire. And it says that after a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. And now it isn't a man, it isn't a woman, it's a man. And he says, no man, I'm not, Peter retorted. And then the third betrayal, about an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. So they recognize him somehow from the region he was from. And so Peter said, man, I don't know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, just as Jesus had predicted and prophesied over Peter's life. And it wasn't that Jesus was making sure this would happen. He was just aware that it would happen. And that's different than, you know, manipulating someone into something. Jesus was just, in his foreknowledge, able to know what would occur what would happen, and this is exactly how it plays out. He denies knowing Jesus on three occasions. I don't know about you, but there have been moments, I guess, where we have not been very forthright about our faith. We've kind of hidden back, maybe hung out with people and been around fires that we shouldn't have been around. When people asked us if we knew Jesus, we may have denied knowing him and having had an encounter and a relationship with him. We betrayed him in our own way, maybe by not standing up when we knew that something needed to be said, not doing when something needed to be done, not acting when action was required. In those ways, we may have all been deniers, but also betrayers. And so we can really relate to what Peter is going through in this moment. There was something that was going to be at risk for him. Now, it may not have been the cross, but it was nonetheless a risk, a risk of risking the outcome that was no longer preferred by Peter. I think that when we see that an outcome isn't going to be favorable to us, that's when we become betrayers. I think we calculate the cost. Like if I stand up here, if I say this, and if I do this, you know, there's going to be a cost to that. And I'm wondering if it's really worth it. And if I should, even though we know it's the right thing to do, we may not do it. And we betray the person, betray the situation. Sometimes it's like that in friendship. You know, we like to be with people who are well-liked and if at some point they no longer are, we may deny knowing them just so that, or being very close to them, or maybe even being related to them just because it no longer serves us. It's not in our favor to do so. There's no advantage. And so Peter was in a very similar position where being with Jesus now was a liability. I mean, why would you stand with someone who's a liability, someone who is clearly not going to rise and be the king, someone who is not going to have a kingdom 
someone who is going to give him position in that kingdom. And when we can't get something out of it, when we can't gain an advantage from it, when we can't be everything that we want to be because of it, we may find ourselves with a tendency towards betrayal. Now, I'm not saying that all of us are out to seek our own. I'm not saying we're always thinking about how we can just, you know, take advantage of people. You can get the upper hand. You know, be in a position that is advantageous. But you'd be surprised how we sometimes let things go unchecked in our hearts and in our lives to the point where when it matters most, instead of doing the right thing, there we are betraying for all the wrong reasons. And I believe that today is a day in which we can just examine ourselves and just wonder if, if this is true about our own hearts. If, if this could be hidden in Peter's heart, and maybe, just maybe, there might be a place where it's hiding in our own. This isn't just about Peter today, it's about us and, and about whether or not that same possibility of betrayal is found within us. At some point in the story, we read in verse 61 that it's at that very moment that the rooster crows, that, that Jesus turns and looks at Peter. Like how weird is that? Like, all, like that's the moment. That's the moment. Like when I'm doing the worst possible thing, that's when you look at me? Like after I've denied you the three times, that's when you turn to me? That's when our eyes lock? That's when you see me? Like that's the time I want to be the most hidden. That's the time I want to disappear. That's the time I, I, I want to make sure that I'm not seen. And that's when you see me? You see, the Lord is actually revealing that there's nothing that He doesn't see. That, that whether it's our best moments, or whether it's our worst moment, he sees it. And you ever lock eyes with someone and, and, and that was like that moment when you, you didn't want that to happen? Well, that's exactly what happens here. Jesus locks eyes with Peter and that's when he's at his absolute worst. That's when he is the most embarrassed about himself and his actions and, and what he's just done. And the Bible tells us that suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. And before the rooster was even crowing tomorrow morning, he, he says, you will deny three times that you even know me. It's like in that moment, when Jesus' eyes locked with Peter, Peter remembers what Jesus said. He didn't remember it before when he was in the process of, of denying him and betraying him the first time denying and betraying him the second time, denying and betraying him the third time. But he remembers it when Jesus looks at him. And I want you to know that that's what God does is that he looks at us and he brings things to remembrance. He brings back our memories so that we will look back on that moment and say, hey, I was warned about this. Hey, he told me about this. Hey, he spoke into my life 
already about this and I still went ahead and did it anyways. And I think that when we look back, we were going to be able to look back with remorse, with, with, with repentance, with a desire to have a renewed relationship with God. That's why he locks eyes with us, not just to bring it to our attention so we feel bad and, and we just feel like betrayers, but he does it so that we can move forward from that place of betrayal and have a new beginning. And so in the story in which we're in talking about Peter, it then ends that Peter left the courtyard and he was weeping bitter, bitterly. I mean, he just can't even be in the proximity of Jesus anymore. I mean, he can't even follow him at a distance. He can't even be at a fire pit with everybody else just waiting for what the outcome is going to be. He just realizes how he has betrayed Jesus himself and how he had been warned about it and how he went ahead and did it anyways. I have, like you, regrets. I have especially strong regrets about things that I had been warned about first. And I don't think it's any different for Peter. I don't think it's any different for you. I think that when we've been warned about something and then we just find ourselves doing it anyway, the very thing we have been warned against we can understand how we too would be in a position where we're weeping bitterly. I, I don't know if this is something that you're still carrying, but I imagine that you would be. Uh, Peter carried it. I mean, he wasn't able to let it go until Jesus went and found him and restored him and spoke to him about a future that he could now still create through a different set of choices. And so he offers him an option. It's like, hey, you can still be a fisherman, go back to your old life and just forget about ever having been with me for three and a half years and being called an apostle. Or you can look after my people. You can look after the ones that I'm calling lambs and sheep and, and be their pastor and become a spiritual leader again, because that's what I've called you to. And when, when Peter, through his choices, understands that he made choices to betray, he can also make choices to help others have a new beginning. And I believe that God is doing the same thing here. He's telling us, hey, I don't want you to be in a position where you are living out your betrayal every day. I want you to have a new beginning. And I want to pray that God does exactly that. He gives you that new beginning today, just like he offered it to Peter. But it's going to have to come through a new set of choices. So Peter didn't like his choices. And so he betrayed Jesus to have better options. And sometimes we enter into betrayal because we're trying to create something better for us. But it's going to be at the detriment of someone else. And in Peter's case, he denies knowing Jesus because admitting that he knew him would not have been good for his future or his future choices. So he thought, let me deny him because that's going to look better for me. That's going to be better for me. That's going to ensure that I have better options. But it turns out that that wasn't the case at all. You see, when you turn your back on Jesus, when you betray the truth, when you betray the Lord, your life isn't better, it's worse. You don't feel freer, you just experience more slavery and you experience it in ways that you never even thought were possible. And Peter has to go back to his old life 
because, well, what other option was there until Jesus showed him that he was able to take his repentance, take his new choice of once again being reconciled with Jesus and then he would have a different future altogether. And so you have that same option before you today. You don't have to live out the betrayals of the past, the denials that led to betrayals. You don't have to look at those choices and how it brought you to this point. You can instead think about the new choice that God is giving you right now. And so ask God for that choice. God, what's the new choice that you're putting in front of me? What's the new option that you're putting before me that I can choose so that I can have a different future? So I don't have to keep reliving the denials that led to the betrayals that put me in a position of rejection. And God is saying, I can do that for you right now. But here's the choice I'm asking you to make. Choose me. Choose my options. Choose what I'm offering you. So ask the Lord for what that is. He will let you know. He will reveal it. That's what he does. That's what he comes to reveal. And he will reveal that to each of you. The second thing I want to talk to you about is the price of betrayal. And, and in this case, we have to go to the life of Judas. See, everyone has a price. And people often say this phrase, hey, name your price. When what they've offered hasn't been high enough or good enough, they'll say, name your price. And the reason they do that is because they want you to choose them. They'll want you to be convinced that making that choice is the best choice for you. Well, Judas was in a similar position, seeing that Jesus wasn't going to become the king the way that he envisioned and saw the direction in which this was turning. He's like, I'm going to have to secure my own future here. And so you'll notice that he starts to make choices about his future and his choices include actually finding out how much Jesus is worth if he betrays him. In fact, the scriptures tell us this, that Judas Iscariot went to the high priest and he offers to deliver Jesus to them and asks them, how much would this be worth? And then the payment of 30 pieces of silver is agreed upon. In Matthew 26 and verse 14 to 16, he asks the question, how much will you pay me to pay me? How much? How much to betray Jesus to you? And so we get this idea that everyone has a price. There is something that we're all willing to do for a certain amount. Now, be faithful to your partner. Be faithful to your business partner. Be faithful to the person that you are doing this with or sell them out. You know, take the money. You know, do what you need to do for yourself so that you don't have to stay with the one who loses, but you find a way of winning. I think the world is just conditioned to do this. I think we see this often and it's glamorized and it's kind of like just understood and accepted as a way of, of life. It's just the way the world works. It's just what happens. You have to think of yourself and you have to think about what you can get out of this. You have to secure your own future. Well, this is exactly what Judas is doing in this story. And so Judas is offered to be paid 30 pieces of silver, but we don't always understand is that 
Judas actually offered to betray Jesus. They didn't come to Judas. Judas went to them. And, and that's the worst part of the story is that Judas is the one who actually volunteers to do this. They didn't even have to like say, hey, who is it among the 12 that is the most disgruntled, you know? Who's the guy, you know, if we analyze just their body mannerisms and their facial features and, and when Jesus is teaching, who's the guy who's just standing just a little bit further back from everybody else? Like, who's the guy that, you know, is in charge of the money purse? Or who's the guy that seems to be more about the kingdom and less about the king? Like, they didn't even have to do any of that. There was no analysis necessary. Why? Because Judas actually volunteered to betray Jesus. Now, think about how different that is from what we just saw and read and experienced from Peter's life. See, Sometimes we deny Jesus in very subversive ways, kind of like Peter. And other times we're just like blatantly all about it. And those are the two examples we have here. And, and Judas is all about the betrayal. And the Bible tells us that this happens because in Luke chapter 22, we discover that um, from that time on, it says, that Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. He was already looking for it. He didn't know how it was going to happen, but he knew that he was going to do it. And the Bible tells us that he devises a plan and then tells them, this is what's going to happen. He says, I'm going to betray Jesus with a kiss. So when I kiss him, that's the guy and that's the person that you're going to take. Now, to me, again, I'm confused by this because isn't it clear who Jesus is? So, so what is it about this moment where Judas has to betray Jesus with a kiss? Like, I mean, it's clear who Jesus is. Everybody knows Jesus. It's, it's, like, it's like the celebrity sighting. You, you don't confuse him with someone else. He's the real deal. So why do you need to identify Jesus with a kiss? And I'll tell you why. Because up until this moment, you'll see that throughout the Gospels, every time they tried to kill Jesus, Jesus always escaped. And, and they don't even know how or why, but he always gets out of the situation that he's in. They tried to kill him. They tried to arrest him. They tried over and over and over again, and they never succeeded. And sometimes it was like they almost couldn't recognize him and see who he was because God was making sure that their eyesight, their ear, and what they were listening to, the moment in which they were in, was just shrouded and clouded so that they couldn't even make the right decisions in the moment that they had to make it just to make sure that Jesus only died one way, and that was on the cross. And so there's this thing where they all believed that Jesus could escape, that Jesus could get away, because he had done it so many times before. Except this time, there was going to be a sign. And the sign was going to be Judas, and he was going to reject him, but he was going to do it by not only seeking a selfishly better future, he was going to reject Jesus with a kiss. Now, the, the kiss is important because it's, 
clear, this is uh, a moment of great hypocrisy. I mean, the kiss is, is like expressing love for Jesus, but then it's also betraying him at the same time. I mean, the kiss is about a covenant bond of friendship, partnership, you know, brotherhood. It's like we're in this together. It's this thing of, of, of deep, meaningful greeting. The people you love the most are the ones that you, you just greet with a kiss. It's a sign of deep respect and, and honor and love. And, and that's why it's so, an it's just an incredible moment of betrayal to see Judas use the kiss in a moment in which he was just being the most fake about it. And maybe you've heard words of, of, of affection. You've been kissed. You've been shown a level of intimacy telling you that everything was fine only to know that you'd been betrayed or were being betrayed all along. That this act of faithfulness was just that of it was a ruse. None of it was real. It was fake. It wasn't authentic. It was part of an act. It was being done to get something out of you. When all along they were just trying to get something for themselves and not doing something for you. It was the kind of betrayal that many of us in this room have experienced and may have been also the perpetrators of. And I want us to think about that for a moment because this betrayal by a kiss is something that many of us are still experiencing the rejection of. Many of us are still just living the consequences of that betrayal. And the reality of that betrayal towards someone else. The Bible tells us this in Proverbs 27, 6. It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And the idea there is that, you know, when someone is authentic, they may tell you something that hurts, but you'd rather hear that and then be lovingly truthful than receive multiple kisses from an enemy who's only doing that just to gain an advantage and then betray you. And so Proverbs speaks of this very thing. The Bible tells us that Judas ends up experiencing even greater damage because of his own rejection. In Job 19.19, it says this, that those I love have turned against me. And this verse is so powerful because it's exactly what happens in the life of Jesus. I mean, he loves Judas, but Judas does not love him back in the same way. And sometimes when we love people and we give ourselves to them and, and we want their kisses, they end up giving us 
their betrayal instead. They wound us and, and they hurt us and they discard us and they do whatever they need to do to have their fill of us until they no longer do and they reject us. The Bible tells us that Jesus was rejected this way by Judas. But instead of Jesus experiencing the rejection of Judas, it is Judas who experienced the greater damage of his own rejection. In fact, if you look at the two lives, Jesus, well, he's risen from the dead, but Judas instead takes his life and ends up dead. The one who was the betrayer is worse off than the one who's betrayed. And that will always be the case, by the way. And you need to be aware of that. And that's why this story is so important, so that we don't become the betrayers. We understand rejection and understand betrayal, but we never become the betrayers. We instead look at the life of Jesus and how he responded to betrayal. We see that he seeks after Peter, but in Judas's case, he can't even go after Judas because Judas has taken his life. So by the time Jesus is raised from the dead and in the power of the resurrection, and he goes and seeks out all the disciples that rejected him and were hiding and were fearful and had abandoned him on the cross, all of them but John. Every other one had rejected him. He cannot go after Judas to give him a second chance. But if he could have, he would have. And so we're all still alive. We're all still here able to put aside our betrayal, but also our intentions of betrayal. We can be here today and we can say, God, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be like Peter and I don't want to be like Judas. I don't want to live my life this way. I don't want to be the person who has an outcome like this. And the Bible tells us that in Matthew 23 verse, uh, 27 verse 3, that when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse, and then he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the priests and the elders, the religious leaders, and he threw them into the temple. He says, I don't want this anymore. But then in verse 5, after he throws the silver coins in the temple, he goes out and he hangs himself. And here's the danger. We can be so overcome with betrayal and so overcome with being a betrayer that instead of living life, we lose it, we end it. And we stop being the person that God wants to be able to redeem because we think that we have rejected it so far and have been rejected so much by our actions that there is no way that we could ever return back to a place where we would have a relationship with God again or with another person or have a better outcome or have a different future. 
And so that's exactly what Satan wants to lie to you about today. He wants to make sure that you stop living. He wants you to just end your life and be known as a betrayer. As someone who just keeps experiencing betrayal. As someone who just keeps living out rejection. Not someone who can be redeemed. Not a life that can be restored. Not someone who can have their future renewed. Not someone who can rebuild and, and reignite their imagination to make choices to create a future. Let God be the one who tells you right now that your life is not over. Let him be the one who reminds you that whatever has happened in the past is something that you can leave there once and for all and have a new beginning. Leave betrayal, leave being a betrayer, leave being rejected behind and embrace this new beginning that you're being offered today, right now, through Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for every person that is here today and for the power of your word and for the reminder of the things that we've heard today that may have spoken um, directly to situations in our life. You've brought to memory things that maybe we've tried to forget and maybe things we just can never forget. Whatever the scenario might be, Lord, I pray that this moment would be a new beginning for every person here today. That we can leave this rejection behind and that we can rebuild a new life with you as we create this future together through the new choices that we make through the option that you are putting before us right now. And that option is to no longer live according to the patterns of this world and to the things of this past, but instead to choose the new beginning that you are offering each of us right now. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only He can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you immensely.